You asked, we answered. Many of you have asked that each show on the Man of God Network be transitioned to its own RSS feed on iTunes or the podcast app that you use. We've heard your request. Each show on the Man of God Network is now available on its own unique RSS feed. This makes it easier to search for previous episodes, yet all of our shows are still connected on one channel. You can find this by searching the Man of God by CBT Seminary channel on iTunes. If you've enjoyed our content, please consider subscribing to each show on the Man of God Network channel as we move content over. And thanks for listening to the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Dakota's ways and means of understanding the mind of God is revealed in His Word with assurance therein, and a declaration of the clearness of the Scriptures with the external means of the interpretation of them. John Owen Chapter 1 The Usurpation of the Catholic Church or the Church of Rome with reference to the interpretation of the Scripture A right understanding of the mind of God therein the right and ability of all believers as to their own duty in this asserted. The importance of the truth proposed. The main question stated. The principal efficient cause of the understanding which believers have in the mind and will of God is revealed in the scriptures. It's the Spirit of God Himself. Our belief of the scriptures to be the Word of God, or divine revelation, and our understanding of the mind and will of God is revealed in them are the two springs of all of our interest in the Christian religion. From them are all those streams of light and truth derived, in which our souls are watered, refreshed, and made fruitful to God. It therefore concerns us greatly to look well to those springs, that they neither be stopped nor defiled and so rendered useless to us. Though a man may have pleasant strength running by his habitation and watering his inheritance, yet if the springs of them be in the power of others, who can either divert their course or poison the waters, on their pleasure he must always depend for the benefit of them. Thus it has fallen out in the world in this manner. So has the Church of Rome endeavored to deal with all Christians. Their main endeavor is to seize those springs of religion into their own power. The scripture itself, they tell us, cannot be believed to be the word of God with divine faith, but upon the proposal and testimony of their church, thereby is one spring secured. And when it is to believe so to be, it ought not to be interpreted, or it cannot be understood but according to the mind, judgment, and exposition of the Roman Catholic Church, which in all like manner secures the other. And having of old possessed these springs of Christian religion, they have dealt with them according as might be expected from unjust invaders of other men's rights. So when the Philistines contended for the wells which Abraham and Isaac had digged, when they had got possession of them, they stopped them up. And when the scribes and Pharisees had gotten a key of knowledge, they would neither enter into the kingdom of God themselves, nor allow those that would so do, as our Savior tells us. For one of these springs, which is a letter of the scripture itself, would it not to have gone forth like the waters of the sanctuary, to refresh a church and make it fruitful to God, 
They partly stopped it up and partly diverted its course by shutting it up in an unknown tongue and debarring the people from the use of it and in the exercise of their pretended right to the other spring or the sole interpretation of the scripture they have poisoned the streams with all manner of errors and delusions so as that they become not only useless but noxious and pernicious to the souls of men for under the pretense of this namely that their church has the sole power of interpreting the scriptures and cannot err therein have they obtruded all their errors with all their abominations in worship and practice on the minds and consciences of men the first of these springs i have in a former discourse on the subject taken out of their hand so far as we ourselves are concerned therein or have vindicated the just right of all christians to this end and given them possession thereof this i did by declaring the true grounds and reasons whereon we do and whereon any can truly believe the scripture to be the word of god with divine faith and supernatural faith for besides other advantages in which the knowledge of that truth is accompanied it dispossesses the romanists of their claim to this fountain of religion by evidencing that we do and ought thus to believe the divine original of the scripture without any regard to the testimony or authority of their church that which now lies before us is a vindication of the right of all believers to the other spring also or a right understanding of the mind and will of god is revealed in the scripture suitably to the duty that god requires of them in their several capacities and conditions but is necessary to the interpretation of difficult places and passages in the scripture and what measure of understanding of the mind and will of god is revealed therein is required of persons in their various conditions is there a teaching of others or among the number of them that are to be taught shall among other things be afterwards spoken to my principal design is to manifest that every believer may in the due use of the means appointed of god for that end attain to such a full assurance of understanding in the truth or all that knowledge of the mind and will of god revealed in the scripture which is sufficient to direct him in the life of god to deliver him from the dangers of ignorance darkness and error and to conduct him to blessedness therefore as to the belief of the scripture itself so as to the understanding knowledge and faith of the things contained in them we do not depend upon the authoritative interpretation of any church or person whatever and although ordinary believers are obliged to make diligent and conscientious use of the ministry of the church among other things as a means appointed of god to lead guide and instruct them in the knowledge of his mind and will revealed in the scripture which is the principal end of that ordinance yet is not their understanding of the truth their apprehension of it and faith in it to rest upon or to be resolved into their authority who are not appointed of god to be lords of their faith but helpers of their joy and on this depends all our interest and in that great promise that we shall be all taught of god for we are not so unless we do learn from him and by him the things which he has revealed in his word and there is not any truth of greater importance for men to be established in for unless they have a full assurance of understanding in themselves unless they hold uh, their persuasion of the sense of scripture revelations from god alone 
If their spiritual judgment of truth and falsehood depend on the authority of men, they will never be able to undergo any suffering for the truth or to perform any duty to God in a right manner. The truths of the gospel and the ways of religious worship for which any believer may be called to suffer in this world are such as about whose sense and revelation in the scripture there is great difference and controversy among men. And if there be not an assured, yea, infallible way and means of communicating to all believers the knowledge of the mind and will of God in the scripture concerning those things so controverted, the grounds of this are fixed in their own minds, but that they do wholly depend on the expositions and interpretations of other men, be they who they will, they cannot suffer for them, either cheerfully or honorably, so as to give glory to God, or to obtain any solid peace and comfort in their own souls. For if a man under his sufferings for his profession could give himself no other account but this, that what he suffers for is the truth of God revealed in the scripture, because such or such whom he has in veneration or esteem, do so affirm and have so instructed him, or because this is a doctrine of this or that church, the papal or the reformed church, which it is prescribed to him, he will have little joy of his suffering in the end. Yea, there is that which is yet worse in this manner as things are stated at this day in the world. Truth and error are promiscuously persecuted according to the judgment, interests, and inclinations of them that are in power. He sometimes both truth and error are persecuted in the same place, and at the same time, upon errors differing from both, dissent has grown almost all that is criminal in Christian religion all the world over. But in this state of things, unless we grant men an immediate understanding of their own in the mind and will of God, yea, a full assurance therein, there will be nothing in which a man who suffers for the most important truths of the gospel can in his own soul and conscience distinguish himself from those who suffer in giving testimony to the most pernicious heirs. For all outward means of confidence which he has, they may have also, if therefore behooves all those who may possibly be called to suffer for the truth in any season, or on any occasion, to assure their minds in this fundamental truth, that they may have in themselves a certain undeceiving understanding of the mind and will of God as revealed in the scripture, independent on the authority of any church or persons whatsoever, the use of whose ministry in this we do yet freely and fully allow, nor indeed without a supposition of this, can any man perform any duty to God in an acceptable manner, so as that his obedience may be the obedience of faith? Nor can upon good grounds die in peace, since the just shall live by his own faith alone. Therefore our present inquiry is, how believers, or any men whatever, may attain a right understanding in their own minds of the meaning and sense of the scriptures as to the doctrines or truth contained in them, and in answer to the design of God, as to what he would have us know or believe, or how they may attain a right perception of the mind of God in the scripture, and what he intends in the revelation of it, in opposition to ignorance, errors, mistakes, and all false apprehensions, and so in a right manner to perform the duties which by it we are instructed in 
In answer to the inquiry proposed concerning the knowledge and understanding of believers in the mind of God as revealed in the Scripture, I shall consider first the principle efficient cause, and secondly all the means internal and external which are appointed of God to this end. As to the first of these, there is a principle efficient cause of the due knowledge and understanding of the will of God in the Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit of God himself alone, for there is a special work of the Spirit of God in the minds of men, communicating spiritual wisdom, light, and understanding to them, necessary to their discerning and apprehending aright the mind of God and his word, and the understanding of the mysteries of heavenly truth contained in them. And I shall add to this point that among all the false and foolish imaginations that every Christian religion was attacked or disturbed with, there never was any. There is none more pernicious than this, that the mysteries of the gospel are so exposed to the common reason and understanding of men, is that they may know them, and comprehend them in a useful manner and according to their duty, without the effectual aid and assistance of the Spirit of God. It is a fondest thing in the world to imagine that the Holy Ghost does any way teach us, but in and by our own reasons and understandings. We renounce all enthusiasms in this manner, and never plead for any immediate prophetical inspirations. Those who would prohibit us the use of our reason and the things of religion would deal with us as the Philistines did with Samson. First, put out our eyes, and then make us grind an air mill. Whatever we know, be it of what sort it will, we know it in and by the use of our reason and what we conceive. We do it by our own understanding. Only the inquiry is whether there is not a special work of the Holy Spirit of God enlightening our minds and enabling our understandings to perceive and apprehend His mind and will as revealed in the Scripture, and without which we cannot so do. Substance, therefore, of the ensuing discourse may be reduced to these heads. 1. That we stand not in need of any new divine afflations or immediate prophetical inspirations to enable us to understand the Scripture, or to mind the will of God is revealed in them. Neither did the prophets or holy penmen of the Scriptures learn the mind of God and the revelations made to them, and by them to the Church, merely from the divine inspiration of them. Those immediate inspirations to them were in the stead and place of the written word, and no otherwise. After they received them, they were by the same means to inquire into the mind and will of God in them, as we do it in and by the written word, 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Secondly, that is to the right and understanding of the mind of God in the scriptures, or come into the riches of the full assurance of understanding in the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. We do not, nor need to, depend on the authoritative instruction or interpretation of the Scripture by any church, whatever, or all of them in the world, though there be great use of the true ministry of the church to that end. 3. That in a mere exercise of our own natural reason and understanding, with the help of external means, we cannot attain that knowledge of the mind and will of God in the Scripture of the sense and meaning of the Holy Ghost in them, which is required of us in a way of duty without the special aid and assistance of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, principally, it is asserted, fourthly, 
deters a special work of the Holy Spirit and a supernatural illumination of our minds, needful to the unproposed, namely that we may aright and according to our duty understand the mind of God in the scripture ourselves or interpret it to others. 5. That by this alone is that full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God, his truth and grace, to be obtained, whereby any man may answer the mind and will of God, or comply with his own duty in all that he may be called to do or suffer in this world, in his special circumstances. Therefore, 6. The certainty and assurance that we may have and ought to have of our right understanding the mind of God in the Scripture, either in general or as to any special doctrine, does not depend upon, nor is it resolved into any immediate inspiration or enthusiasm. It does not depend upon, nor is resolved into the authority of any church in the world, nor is it the result of our reason and understanding merely in their natural actings, but as they are elevated, enlightened, guided, conducted by an internal efficacious work of the Spirit of God upon them. 7. That whereas a means of the right interpretation of the Scripture and understanding of the mind of God in them are of two sorts first, such as are prescribed to us in a way of duty, is prayer, meditation on the Word itself, and the like, and secondly, disciplinary, and the accommodation of arts and sciences with all kind of learning to that work. The first sort of them does entirely depend on a supposition of the spiritual aids mentioned, without which they are of no use, and the latter is not only consistent with this, but singularly subservient thereunto. Therefore the nature and use of all these means shall be afterward declared that being the substance of what is designed in the ensuing discourse. It is evident that the positions before laid down concerning the special work of the Spirit on the minds of men, and communicating spiritual wisdom, light, and knowledge to them, is in the first place and principally to be confirmed, is that in which all other assertions do absolutely depend. It is the Bible itself alone from whence the truth in this manner can be learned and by which alone what is proposed concerning it must be tried. Therefore, as to this first part of this work, I shall do little more than plead the express testimonies of it, when we come to consider the way and manner of the communication of these spiritual aids to us. The whole manner will be more fully stated, and such objections as may be laid against our assertion removed out of the way. And there are two ends designed in this undertaking first, that which the evangelist Luke proposed in his writing the gospel to Theophilus, namely, that he might know the certainty of the things in which he had been instructed. Luke 1 verse 4, when we have been instructed in the truth of the gospel and give our assent to it, yet it is needful that we should examine the grounds and reasons of what we believe thereon that we may have a certainty or full assurance of them. This, therefore, we shall direct, namely, how a man may come to an undeceiving persuasion and full assurance that the things in which he has been instructed, and which he knows are true and according to the mind of God, so as that he may thereon be no more tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craft.
craftiness in which they lie in wait to deceive. Secondly, we design to inquire what conduct to this end a man takes care of of his salvation, and who is convinced that he must give an account of himself to God. Ought in this manner is to the right understanding of the mind and will of God in the scripture to betake himself to this. And as I shall show that there is no safety in depending on enthusiasms, or immediate pretended infallible inspirations, nor on the pretended infallibility of any church. So the Holy Spirit of God enlightening our minds in the exercise of our own reason or understanding, and in the use of the means appointed of God to that end, is the only safe guide to bring us to the full assurance of the mind and will of God as revealed in the Scripture. Therefore, the whole foundation of this work lies on these two things. One, debt. There is a special work of the Holy Spirit on our minds, enabling them to understand the scriptures in a right manner, or to know the mind of God in them, too, and showing what is the special nature of this work, what are the effects of it upon our minds, and how it differs from an enthusiastical inspiration, and what is the true exercise of our minds in compliance with them, and these things we shall first inquire into. The whole of our assertion is comprised in the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open now mine eyes, that I may behold wonder things out of your law. The same request, for the substance of it is repeated a number of times in the same psalm. Verses 33 and 34. Thus he prayed, that it may be esteemed our duty to pray in like manner as the substance of what we plead for, what we pray for from God that we have not in and of ourselves, as the ancient church constantly pleaded against the Pelagians, and what we pray for according to the mind of God, that we do receive. Therefore our discerning, our understanding of the wonderful things of the law is not of ourselves. It is that which is given us, that which we receive from God but that the force of our argument from this testimony may be the more evident. The words or terms of it must be explained that we may see whether they be equivalent to or of the same signification with those laid down in our assertion. 1. That, which is the object of the understanding prayed for, that in the knowledge whereof the psalmist would be illuminated is the word signifying instruction and being referred to God. It is his teaching or instruction of us by the revelation of himself, the same which we intend by the scripture. When the books of the Old Testament were completed, they were for distinction's sake distributed into the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Luke 24 verse 44, under that distribution, Torah signifies the five books of Moses, But whereas these books of Moses were, as it were, the foundation of all future revelations under the Old Testament, which were given in the explanation of it, all the writings of it are usually called the law. Isaiah 8 verse 20. By the law, therefore, in this place, the psalmist understands all the books that were then given to the church by revelation for the rule of its faith and obedience, and that by the law and the psalms a written law is intended is evident from the first of them, in which he is declared blessed who meditates on them day and night. Psalm 1 verse 2, 
which has respect to the command of reading and meditating on the books of it in that manner. Joshua 1.8 That therefore which is intended by this word is the entire revelation of the will of God given to the church for the rule of its faith and obedience, that is, the Holy Scripture too. In this law there are wonderful things, which signifies to be wonderful, to be hidden, to be great and high, that which men by the use of reason cannot attain to or understand. Hence these are things that have such an impression of divine wisdom and power upon them, as that they are justly the object of our admiration, that which is too hard for us, is Deuteronomy 17 verse 8. If a manner be too hard for you, hid from you, and it is the name in which the miraculous works of God are expressed. Psalm 77 verse 11. Psalm 78 verse 11. Therefore these wonderful things of the law are those expressions and effects of divine wisdom in the scripture, which are above the natural reason and understandings of men to find out and comprehend. Such are the mysteries of divine truth in the scripture, especially because Christ is in them, whose name is Wonderful. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for all the great marvelous effects of infinite wisdom meet in him. God says of them in Hosea 8 verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing, because they were wonderful in themselves. They neglected and despised them as that which was foreign and alien from them, which belonged not to them. So deal many with the mysteries of the gospel at this day, because they are heavenly, spiritual in themselves, marvelous, hidden, and above the understanding of the natural reason of men, that is, they are wonderful. They reject and despise them as things alien and foreign to their religion. Therefore, the wonderful things of the scripture, those mysteries of divine truth, wisdom, and grace that are revealed and contained in them, with their special respect to Jesus Christ. Three things are supposed in the words concerning these wonderful things. One, that they are recorded, laid up, or treasured in the law or scripture, and nowhere else. So as that from them alone are they to be learned and received. Behold, wondrous things out of your law. That alone is a sacred or repository of them. There are wondrous things in the works of nature and providence, and much of them is contained in the treasury of reason in which it may be discerned, but these are stored in the law only and nowhere else. Number two, that it is our duty to behold, to discern, to understand them, to have an inspection into them, and our great privilege when we are enabled so to do. This makes the psalmist pray so frequently, so fervently, that he may have the discerning of them, or come to an acquaintance with them, those, therefore, by whom they are neglected, despise their duty and forsake their own mercy. 3. That we are not able of ourselves thus to discern them without divine aid and assistance. For the psalmist, who is wiser than the wisest of us, and who had so earnest a desire after these things, yet would not trust to his own reason, wisdom, ability, and diligence, for the understanding of them, but betakes himself to God by prayer, acknowledging in this that it is a special work of God by his Spirit to enable us to understand his mind and will is revealed in the scripture. Number four, there is expressed in the words the act of God towards us, 
in which he enables us to behold, discern, and understand the wonderful effects of divine wisdom which are treasured up in the scripture which the psalmist prays for. This is called as opening of our eyes. Reveal mine eyes. Uncover. Unveil mine eyes. There's a light in the word. All truth is light, and sacred truth is sacred light. Yea, the word of God is expressly called light. Psalm 36, nine. Psalm 43.3 Psalm 119.105 But there is by nature a covering, a veil on the eyes of the understandings of all men, so that they are not able of themselves to behold this light, nor to discern anything by it in a due manner. With respect to this, the psalmist prays that God would reveal his eyes. To reveal is to take off the veil or covering, and his veil is that of our natural darkness, blindness, and ignorance in which we have treated elsewhere. I don't see what is wanting upon the explanation or confirmation of the position before laid down. The communication of spiritual light from God is a peculiar work of the Holy Ghost. He is the immediate author of all spiritual illumination. By him alone or by virtue of this can we know or understand the mind of God in the scripture. In such a manner as God requires us to do, and whosoever has received the grace of this divine illumination may do so, so far as he is concerned, in point of faith or obedience. The law is a scripture, the written word of God. In them are wonderful things or mysteries of divine wisdom contained and revealed. To behold these things is to discern and understand them aright with respect to our own faith and obedience. This we cannot do without a supernatural act of the Spirit of God upon our minds, enabling them to discern them and understand them. And we further argue that which is our duty to pray for spiritual, supernaturally to enable us to do that of ourselves we are not able to do without that aid and assistance. At least we may do it by virtue of that aid and assistance, which includes a substance but just consequence of what is pleaded for. But such aid it is our duty to pray for, that we may understand aright the revelations of the mind and will of God in the scriptures, the only thing to be proved. There is but one thing which I can foresee that may with any pretense of reason be objected to this testimony of the psalmist in particular, and this is that he speaks of the times and writings of the Old Testament. Now it is confessed that there was in them a darkness and obscurity, and such as needed new revelations for the understanding of them. But since all things are brought to light by the gospel, there is no need of any special aid or assistance of the Holy Spirit by supernatural illumination for the understanding of them. In answer to this, I shall consider the discourse of the apostle in which he states this whole manner in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 16 and 18, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which is done away in Christ. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, or they be turned to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
When Moses had received a revelation of the law from God, his face shone. Exodus 34 verse 29. For there were wonderful things contained in that revelation with respect to Jesus Christ. He was in them all, and the end of them all. The whole ministry of Moses was but a testimony given to the things that were afterward to be spoken concerning him, as the apostle declares in Hebrew 3, 5. On the receipt of this revelation, his face shone, because there was a light, a luster, a glory in the things revealed to him, and by them reflected on his ministry, which was so represented. Nevertheless, this light did not shine immediately into the hearts and minds of the people. They did not see or discern the glorious and wonderful things that were in the law, for there was a double veil, or covering that hindered them, one that was put on Moses' face, another that was on their own hearts. Some dark apprehensions and glances of light they had, but they could not look steadfastly to the end of that which was to be abolished. They could not comprehend the truth concerning Christ, which is the substance and end of the law. The first veil, that which is on the face of Moses, was the obscurity of the instructions given them, as wrapped up in type, shadows, and dark parables. This they could not see through, so as clearly to discern the wonderful things contained in and under them. This veil is quite taken off in the revelation or doctrine of the gospel, in which life and immortality are brought to light, and the wonderful things of the mystery of God and Christ are fully declared and plainly expressed. In this, therefore, it is acknowledged that there is a great difference between those under the Old Testament and those under the New. But the Apostle says there is another veil, a veil upon the heart. And of this he declares two things. One, that this veil is done away only in Christ, and two, that therefore it is not taken away from any but those who were converted to God. This is a covering of ignorance, darkness, blindness that is on men by nature. The former fell is taken away by the doctrine of the gospel. This latter is to be removed only by the ineffectual work of the Spirit of Christ in the conversion of the souls of men to God. And two things ensue on the removal of this double veil. One, that... As to the doctrine itself concerning the mystery of God in Christ, it is no more represented to us in types and shadows and dark parables, but in the clear mirror of the gospel in which the glory of Christ is reflected. By this, the veil is taken off from the face of Moses. Number two, that we have an open, uncovered face, or Assyric reads it, a revealed eye in which we are enabled to discern the wonderful mysteries of God so revealed. This ensues on the taking away of the second veil of darkness and blindness, which is on all the hearts of men by nature. This removal and destruction of this double veil by the spirit and grace of the gospel is that which is prophesied in Isaiah 25, 7. He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering covered, or the double veil that is on the face of all people, and a veil veiled over all nations. This being the design of the discourse of the apostle, it is evident that although there be a difference between them under the Old Testament and us as to the veil that was on the face of Moses, which is destroyed and removed by the doctrine of the gospel, yet there is none as to the veil which is on the hearts of all by nature, which must be removed by the Holy Spirit 
For we cannot with open face behold the glory of the Lord, the thing which the psalmist prays for in the place insisted on, that is, that God by his Spirit would more and more renew his mind and take away his natural darkness and ignorance, that he might be able to behold, perceive, and understand the mind of God as revealed in the Scripture. And if any shall suppose or say that for their part they need no such special aid and assistance to enable them to understand the mind of God in the Scripture, which is sufficiently exposed to the common reason of all mankind, I shall only say at present, I am afraid they do not understand those places of Scripture where this aid and assistance is so expressly affirmed to be necessary to this end. But the meaning of the psalmist will the better appear if we consider the communication of the grace which he prayed for to others. This is expressed in Luke 24:45. Then open he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, a needless work if some men may be believed. But our Lord Jesus Christ thought not so. The truths concerning him were revealed in the scripture that is in the law, in the prophets, in the Psalms, verse 44. These they read. These they were instructed in. These were preached to them every Sabbath day, and probably they were as skilled in the literal sense of scripture propositions as those who pretend highest among us so to be. However, they could not understand those wonderful things in a way of duty, and as they ought to do, until the Lord Christ opened their understandings. There was needful to them an immediate gracious act of his divine power on their minds to enable them to do this. And I cannot yet much value those men's understanding of the scripture whose understandings are not opened by the Spirit of Christ. If we need the opening of our understandings by an act of the power and grace of Christ, that we may understand the scriptures, then without it we cannot so do, namely, so as to believe and yield obedience according to our duty. The consequence is evident, for if we could, there was no need of this act of Christ towards those disciples who were not destitute of any rational abilities required in us to that end. And the act of Christ in opening their understanding is openly distinguished from the proposition of the doctrine of the Scripture to them. This is made two ways. First, in the Scripture itself. Secondly, in the oral discourse of our Savior upon it. Distinct from both these is that act of His in which He opened their understanding. Did they understand the Scriptures? Therefore, nothing but a real internal act of grace in the illumination of their minds can be intended by this, the nature of shall be further explained afterward. But there is an imminent place that must be pleaded distinctly to this purpose in Ephesians 1, 17-19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance and in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. This is the whole of what we would assert to nothing else. If men would acquiesce by faith in what is here declared, we would need to plead this cause no further, for the words and expressions of the truth here used are more emphatical to a spiritual understanding than any others we can find out. And I shall only show on the opening of them how our position and sense are contained in them. What the Apostle does here for others, it is unquestionably our duty to do for ourselves. 
we are then to pray that God would enable us by his spirit to know and understand his mind and will is revealed in the scripture. This, therefore, without the special aid and assistance from him by his spirit, we cannot do. And the aid he gives us consists in the effectual illumination of our minds or the enlightening of the eyes of our understandings. These things are plain and not liable, as I suppose, to any exception. And these are all we plead for. Let them be granted without any other distinctions or limitations but what the scripture will justify. And there is an end of this difference.